live now. I don't know how you see who's in it to win it. Ah, there we go. All right, I can see it. All right, cool. All right. Who was first? All right. Paul said, if you're wondering about any stuff, oh, that comment doesn't matter because it's from you. All right. Oh. So Cam Cam's was the first comment. Cam's first supplement that he took was multivitamin. What do you think about multivitamin? Necessary? I've always put it in as kind of like a, uh, <clears throat> kind of like a fail safe mechanism. Like a, hey, you might not be getting enough vitamins. So. I have no idea, but just put it in your mouth anyway. And that's <laughs> and that's how Paul gets his ladies. <laughs> Paul does other things in life. Shut your fucking mouth and take it. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was so inappropriate. Oh, I'm glad this is private. Uh, it's not. It's not at all. It's not. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Seven thousand Chinese people watching this right now. Oh, nah. Uh, you, is it my turn? Do you want to yeah. talk about? Go for it, man. Go for it. Yeah, I think that's uh, not a. I, we know they're not harmful, you know. Or there's a pretty. You could be pretty rest assured that they're not harmful. I think there are a lot of theories. Uh, some people propose that due to just sheer food volume these days, that even though the back of like your hot pockets and stuff don't have a list of all these like vitamins and minerals and stuff um that even without taking um multivitamins that we're still getting a pretty good decent range and dose i mean it's just not all that common these days like for people to really experience like you know, disease states of vitamin and mineral deficiency and such, you know? So, right. but I think it is like a fail safe. And I mean, as a whole, I, I don't think, I know myself, you know, my diet isn't the most nutritionally sound. Yeah. So. <laughs> so it's good that we put you on our multivitamin. But one thing that I think people get confused is they think they see like, all right, something like I, like this is popular in the vertical diet with Stan Efferding where he's like, yeah. you got to be make sure that you're getting a ton of iodine in. It's going to supercharge <laughs> your thyroid. It's like, well, no, your thyroid is going to be dysfunctional if you don't have enough iodine. If you have enough, it's going to function normally. Giving it way more isn't going to make it, make it function even better. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, you know, outside of, there's, there's some special populations for which it's important. Like, you know, like pregnant women need to sub, uh, supplement with folate and like small children uh, generally don't eat enough and they're picky eaters. So th there's, there's some benefit to giving small kids vitamins because they don't have a, a broad, diverse diet. But, you know, for your, your average person uh, that's eating a lot and not eating nothing but hot pockets and, <laughs> and, and bagel bites like Paul, um, yeah. you know, the, the chicken nugget diet. Um, you know, you're, you're probably, if you're eating a, a wide variety of mostly whole foods and uh, making a point to get uh, plants that aren't just starches in your diet, you're probably covering all your bases. You know, if, if the, the like six cents a day to take a Flintstone vitamin or whatever is, is something that makes you feel better, then, then you'd probably go for it. Because like Paul said, there's, there's no real uh, demonstrated harm, but, but yeah, uh, micronutrition deficiency is pretty rare in normal populations that are yeah. eating like just absolutely absurd diets for whatever reason uh, in the West. So, you know, you know, if, if you get into a situation like in, in uh, some parts of sub-Saharan Africa, there, there's a lot of micronutrition issues like rickets and whatnot, but that's because those people are starving anyways. So, yeah. <laughs> they just have malnutrition up from all sorts of sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one, other guess... one other special population is your vegans that usually don't get enough yeah. B vitamins, especially B12. They can yeah. benefit from taking a B12 supplement. Yeah, and then maybe a, maybe, a, maybe a vitamin D, yeah, extra iron, iron, vitamin D, maybe calcium as well, depending on where they're getting yeah. their, their mic. But a lot of those yeah. like tofu, like soy kind of based products are enriched with calcium and yeah. other. Yeah. Well, a, yeah. lot of our, a lot of our food already has uh, micronutrient enrichment 
you know, yeah. it's yep. almost like a like a public food policy in the United States for maybe fifty or sixty years now. It's been more than that. So I think it's uh kind of important to bring up like a lot of people would like to have you think that we're just like starving and dying at a cellular level from like nutrient deficiency. And it's just not true. No. You know, <laughs> like really in the United States, like nutrient deficiency is probably the last problem that anybody. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, let's be honest, like people there's are too much going in. Yeah. We're, we have malnutrition of a different diseases. variety. <laughs> we're developing new diseases that, that, you know, are solely a result of hyperconsumption. So like, I don't think that like, we're missing out on vitamin A, you know, like just uh, as a general statement. And some people like, I don't know, they, even if they don't have the greatest diet, um, not that this is okay, but like, let's say somebody gets some pizza and it has veggies on it, or they get a burger at a fast food restaurant that has some veggies on it or something. They act like these don't count for nutrition. Yeah. Have you run into people like that? Yeah. Like, unless it's like wholly organic salads, it doesn't count. <laughs> And, and, you know, really the, the threshold of like what we need for a lot of these, these substances, micro and phytonutrients is so low that like, yeah, you might eat a quarter of a bell pepper a month, but that might supply all you need. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, they're literally called micronutrients or phytonutrients. Like, tiny, you know? Yeah. Like, like, the, you know, looking, smelling a bell pepper might get you what you need. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then another, another thing with, the supplements aspect of this is that the uh, the bioavailability of a lot of these these micronutrients in supplement form is just abysmal. So you know, uh, you may be taking ten thousand times your uh, RDA of a certain micronutrient every day in the form of your multivitamin. You may still, you know, that may, that may be the threshold for that may be what it takes just to get you your RDA in terms of actual bioavailable. Nutrient. I think a lot of people maybe don't even realize that there are a lot of things in food that we don't put in pills, like the phytonutrients, some yeah, of those yeah. phytonutrients and stuff. And, uh, you know, I remember back in the day, Alan Aragon would make it a big point to uh, say that, oh, there are nutrients in a potato that we haven't even like really identified, like they're, you know, yeah. what they do or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and my advice to people is usually to not worry about it and just focus on eating a diverse varied diet try new stuff eat different stuff you know um i know people get caught up in being hardcore and eat nothing but chicken <laughs> and broccoli and brown rice but that's you know that's a pretty miserable way to live so, that's a good point too i think is just uh some people go to the opposite end of the spectrum where they feel like they need such a variety every day and they drive themselves nuts. And it's like, no, like you can have a core group of vegetables and fruits for a few days, maybe swap them out for something else for a few days. And over a range of time, you get a broad spectrum of nutrients. Yeah, yeah. And, and even, even just, you know, the concept of eating seasonally with your produce, you know, like there, there, there's stuff that, and, and we're kind of, uh, maybe not in touch with the United States because our our food supply chain is so global. But you know, there's there's stuff that doesn't grow in the summer, and there's stuff that doesn't grow in the winter. And so there, there's certain you know uh, fruits and vegetables uh, that are maybe best at certain times of year. And so so trying to eat a little bit seasonally, you know, uh, there's different squashes that are different different times of year, different citrus and apples. Uh, that are available and just just kind of you know eat what's fresh eat what's eat what eat what's in season and you're probably covering your bases and you're getting enough variety but it doesn't need to be like you know i know back in the day like poliquin had people like rotating their protein oh i ate chicken once this week so i gotta have goat and lamb and kangaroo before i uh i have chicken again you know and that's yeah. silliness like just i more. think what was his argument there that you were rotating out various like amino acid profiles yeah um what do you guys think about, or have you ever had clients come to you and say um, that they take a green supplement instead of actually eating vegetables? I've had a couple people say that to me. Yeah. I, Go ahead, Paul. Uh, are you sure? Um, to me, I don't know, man. That's kind of like the, can I get all my fiber from a psyllium husk powder or something? And it's like... <laughs> there's, there's, there's this crazy drive, it seems like, with people to like replace everything that they like would normally eat with a supplement. Like I'm going to have six whey shakes, uh, fish oil. I've got a, a, a 
Gatorade powder or whatever. supplement that I'm going to take. Yeah, I'm going to have Gatorade powder for my carbs. I'm going to have a green supplement. Like, just eat some food, man. You know, that sounds really <laughs> miserable. Uh, and, you know, like, I don't recommend against those things because I, I don't think that there's maybe a, uh, I don't think there's a problem with getting, you know, 12 additional servings of fruits and vegetables and freeze-dried form a day. Like, <laughs> the, the threshold for harm, like, is, like, I don't think you could hurt yourself with that. But, you know, I would definitely caution people not to let it replace food. Yeah. Some shit just doesn't sound isn't doesn't sound like sound advice. Yeah. You know, like I'm just gonna eat nothing but pop tarts. That's fine, right? Like the greens thing on the opposite end of the spectrum almost sounds like the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I think I think it's a good practice in addition to a normal varied healthy diet. But you know, as a, as a standalone thing, like unless you're in a hospital bed, probably not the best idea. Yeah, it's definitely not going to take the place of actually eating greens. But it's funny that you mentioned fish oil. Fish oil is the next one up. I think fish oil had like a very, very, it got very popular. Pretty much everyone was taking fish oil. They were saying, oh, it's, it's good for heart health. Uh, it's good for muscular hypertrophy. Uh, it's good for dealing with inflammation. And now the research has kind of come back around and said, yeah, it's probably good. There's a good profile of omega-3s in there. That can kind of balance that equation of omega-3s and omega-6 in your diet. But it's, it's definitely not going to be significantly or significantly change your capacity for hypertrophy or save your heart if you're over consuming unhealthy or fat sources yeah i think i think i think fish oil is one of those things that it's a it's again it's like greens you know it's a it's a good practice in the broader sense of a, a of an overall healthy diet you know, crossfit uh their their official recommendation when you go take your level uh level one is uh like three grams a day total of epa dha um and, you know, they go through the math. That's like eight fish oil capsules a day from your, like your generic um, store brand fish oil. So it, it's not extreme. You know, I know people are getting up in like the, like the 2008, 2009 days uh, recommending like 40 grams of fish oil. <laughs> oh, like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like and then people are having problems with grams of fish oil. Yeah. Just, just walking around stinky all the time. I was going to say, can you imagine the burps? Oh god! Oh crazy. yeah. yeah. Was that what you were about to say? People are having issues with uh, clotting or like yeah. thin blood or something. Yeah, I know. I know that. And even in the level one, that they, they specifically they when they talk about fish oil in the nutritional lectures, they talk about if you're in a, a, a police, you know, your law enforcement, or you're like downrange, you know, uh, um, you know, military, like out in the field, and like there's a chance that you might get shot. Like probably lay off fish oil for a while because you know, it, it is indicated for, uh, you know, to affect clotting. Yeah. I don't think, uh, not that it's a bad idea to take it during an off season or a, a season where you have, you're in a surplus, but I think that's one of those supplements that becomes maybe a little more useful during a contest prep or hard diet yeah. where you're limited in food sources and fat and you can't maybe um, get that occasional uh, fish in your diet and stuff because like salmon for instance the for like a four ounce piece of salmon the fat content is absurd you just can't eat that when you're on uh, a heavy deficit yeah it's yeah. A, and i think i think with a lot of this discussion you know people we talk about dietary supplements uh and a lot of them the the relevance and the usefulness form changes depending on whether you're in a normal healthy you know maintenance or surplus environment or if you're in a more severe deficit because you know as uh you know, supplemental nutrition becomes more important in all populations when, when calories and the ability to eat becomes diminished. And that's why most of the, what we know about supplements comes from populations like burn victims and the dying, like people who can't eat. Yeah, that's what a lot of a lot of the research on glutamine is actually in burn victims and cancer patients who have severe muscle wasting or severe uh, immunosuppression <clears throat> as a result of their treatment. Yeah. Uh, what's next on our list here? Heather says multivitamin primrose oil. That's the one that I was talking about. Primrose mm. oil. I, I think it's, no I, I'm pretty sure that it's an essential oil to help with anxiety. I believe. Anyone heard of that one? I'm googling it. <laughs> what does it do? Oh, Kimball says it makes your skin soft. You rub it on your face. I think she's eating it. Why would you eat it? Oh, she's eating it. Why would you eat it? 
Okay. Make your insides beautiful. This is this is a uh, a uh, natural form of natural source of gamma linoleic acid. Uh, if you guys are are interested, um, so the Mayo Clinic uh, examined evidence for the safety and effectiveness of evening primrose for several conditions. It's considered that there was good evidence, grade B or strong evidence, uh, grade A, that it produced moderate improvement in eczema. Grade C or unclear evidence for benefit uh, listed in other conditions. Um, so it's considered to be safe and recommended dosages. Um, there's a uh, list of side effects, counterindications for uh, people who are breastfeeding or on other drugs. Um, it's, uh, I know I've seen some research. Uh, in the past that indicate that it may have some positive effects on uh, countering obesity. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know enough to really speak authoritatively on it, but it's probably, you know, given that it's kind of an obscure thing, I don't think if you're, if you're not taking it currently, I wouldn't rush out to go buy it and uh, add it yeah. to your. Yeah. It's another one that if it has an, if it has an effect, it's a very, very small effect. Yeah. And we were talking about, um, in a group text the other day, right, Paul and Ryan about the, uh, you know, the uh, the magnitude of effect for supplements, uh, and you know we talked about creatine, and I'm probably going to jump the shark and, and take somebody's answer here, um, but you know we talked about creatine, which is like the most studied and most thoroughly vetted supplement in the world, right? Like we we know that creatine from the research significantly it works has a significant benefit. You take creatine. It has a, it has a scientifically significant benefit, and no one has ever said, "Man, I really feel that creatine burn." You know, yeah. maybe, maybe like so, like a fourteen year old kid who doesn't know what he's doing. You, you stole know. my thing, dude. No. <laughs> Your only thing. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. When... Unless it's every now and again, you meet somebody who's like, "Oh man, I can always tell I'm getting so strong. I feel it running through my veins. My traps yeah. are going right now because I just took my creatine. They're not taking like, creatine. Like they're taking something else. Thing. Like, you know, like, like it's a placebo, like they, yeah. you know, or they're taking creatine that's got like 500 milligrams of caffeine in it too. And they feel great. So I think that's the underlying mechanism by which a lot of these supplements are going to be effective is that they just make you think that they are effective. Yeah. Dude, uh, placebo effects real. Wasn't there that one study where they told people they were taking steroids and they had insane gains? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they had a group, they had a big group and they told them all you're taking steroids and they tracked their improvement. And I think between the squat bench and the deadlift, they had an average of like a 30 kilo increase between the three lifts. And then they split the group down the middle and they told half the group, you are no longer, or you were taking fake steroids. And they told the other group, you are still taking steroids. You're taking real steroids. And the ones who thought they were still taking real steroids continued to improve, where the ones who were now under the impression that they were not taking anything completely fell off to their baseline measures. Yeah. Dude, this is the thing about creatine is, uh, and like you learn about these things in your sports nutrition classes and stuff. And you go through all the science and it sounds super nice. And your professor's like, oh, it's so effective, scientifically proven. Um, and then what they really should say at the end is, oh, but you won't really notice any of this in real life. And then <laughs> you, when you kind of even think about in the context of what it's supposed to do, like people say, oh, maybe you can get an extra rep or two um, on your bench press or whatever uh, resistance training movement. And then you have to really think, okay, let's say, I took this thing that let me get an extra rep or two on my workout for the next year of my life. Like, did those extra reps <laughs> like did, make any meaningful difference? Yeah. You know, if like, they did mean make a meaningful difference, it was over 20 years, and it was a one percent <laughs> increase in size over 20 years. Um, well, and 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 that was you know kind of my point. You know, we talk about this 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 most demonstrated to be effective supplement in the world, right? Uh, and we we can't see or feel real tangible evidence you know in, in our day-to-day -day lives of it being effective so like what does that say about all this stuff that's you know way well below that threshold in terms yeah. of demonstrated uh you know benefit some of the other it, ones that i would throw on there what were you gonna say paul oh uh, it just kind of kills me just being uh within the academic community 
and the arguments people will make like well you know even if it's one percent it, it matters in whatever sport and it's like yeah but it doesn't like, the, the example that they'll always give is like well a one percent increase is what puts you in the gold medal instead of the silver in the olympics like, okay, or like, well, none of us are going to the olympics none of us are competing in the olympics so that doesn't matter like we're just trying to not die we're trying to not get heart disease or diabetes and how effective is creatine going to be for that? Very, very little. Yeah. So do we want to uh, kind of lump uh, things like magnesium and because uh, I'm looking through the, the list. Yeah. A lot, a lot of this stuff kind of falls into the multivitamin. You know, you've got B12. Uh, maybe we can talk about D3 separately because it's got some some benefits and it's it's usually not included in multivitamin. I guess it would have been helpful to ask why they're taking certain things as well. Yeah. Because saying magnesium, it's like, oh we'll include that as a multivitamin, but are they taking it for, I don't know, sleep or cramping or you know? Um one that we could knock out was Jenny was talking about how she's on the fence for BCAAs and oh. on whether to take that or not. I've told her a couple of times that She's not going to see a huge benefit from taking BCAs because she's at or above the one gram per pound of body weight. Yeah, I, um, I think BCAAs are one of those things you could just pretty firmly get off the fence about, right? Yeah, <laughs> pretty firmly, because yeah. they're because they're very expensive for essentially just being a, a flavor enhancer for your water. Yeah, <laughs> and they're not not even. Uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but but isn't there a lot of a, a good bit of more recent research to indicate that it's. Uh, not even as effective as just regular protein. Yeah. That's really the issue um, is that, yeah, you're missing the other amino acids that are really important for, yeah. you know, muscle protein, carrying out full muscle protein synthesis and building myofibrillar uh, tissue. Yeah. Whereas like your BCAAs kind of just act as like the on switch to get the process started, your leucine yeah. trigger. Well, it's, uh, a, it's a case where, you know, they did a study and they, they measured a specific, you know, biochemical response, and yeah. said, "Oh, this, this, this causes this to happen," and then look downstream to make sure that 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 one biomarker was actually going yeah. out. You know, like you said, yeah, downstream uh, things weren't. I don't know who it was. It might have been. It might have been Hector that was talking about it, and he was saying that taking BCAAs is like is like being in your car and just stepping on the gas as hard as you can and then immediately letting your foot off of the gas. So you're like initiating the process of what should get the car moving, but you're not keeping your foot on the gas and elongating that process, which will actually allow the car to get moving. So when, when it comes down to muscle protein synthesis and building muscle, you've got the initiation phase of like having an amino acid there to kick everything off. BCAAs handle that, so they kind of set things off. But when there's not a large pool of amino acid there available to elongate that, you don't actually build any muscle downstream. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that a lot of that research, essential amino acids would be a slightly better choice with whey or some other um, protein with a good amino acid profile would be a better choice as well, like whole food, meat, things like that. Um, I wouldn't, I, I try not to like jump on the whole uh, completely demonize it. It has no purpose now, you know, I think, uh, and these are fairly obvious ones, but potentially if somebody is a vegan or they're a vegetarian and they need, uh, you know, to kind of bump that leucine up a little bit with a meal or between meals or something. Uh, and then, but in most circumstances, I would just argue for essential amino acids or some other, yeah. uh, protein source. And I, I, I can't remember the exact specifics of it, but you know, there's um, I have seen arguments and discussions that they may have some uh, unique benefits for endurance athletes, which mm. comprises zero percent of the people watching this. Is that because project. is that because they function as Krebs cycle intermediates? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's, the only, that's the only thought process I, that I can have. There's a lot of stuff. I don't know if they figured it out yet, but even just like carbohydrate rinsing, you don't even swallow it. Yeah. Like improves time to exhaustion. Yeah. yeah. So. That's because part of the carbohydrate pro digestion process starts to occur in the mouth, I believe. Yeah. With, with good old salivary amylase. Um, amylase. But another one that I saw that was common among the group was probiotics. 
Like, do you guys encourage your clients to take probiotics? It's not something that I explicitly recommend that they take. Um, what do you guys think about that? Um, so I, I, I definitely personally take probiotics um, a couple times a week. Thomas has problems. I have major problems. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's beneficial uh, on an individual basis, you know. Um, there's a lot that we, we don't know still about the microbiome uh and you know the kind of the nature of what you do in bodybuilding is probably not good for it especially if you're somebody who's uh you know uh aggressively prepping um you know my wife used to compete and it was like a you you could tell who the the uh, seasoned competitors were when you talk to girls in that that world because the, the girls who'd been competing for a couple of years and had been like, you know, they'd been through four or five, maybe six, seven preps. Um, they all had like major stomach issues, like big, bad problems with bloating, uh, distension cramps, you know, and, and it seems like it almost uh, comes out of, of, you know, the, uh, the process of getting stage lean and uh, the kind of, um, severe reduction in calories you know chronically causes problems so yeah, yeah. I, I think I you think, might be on you're on to something there with the severe reduction in calories and i think it has something to do with like specific foods that they go to as well because we look at like different types of fiber and how yeah. those feed certain families of bacteria that yeah. live in the gut and when you just consistently feed yourself these certain food groups or these these seven magic foods or whatever yeah I think that yeah, you're you got a good point right there. Yeah, and it, it kind of kind of goes back to that diverse diet thing. You know, eating eating a variety of foods. Um, you know, people get in a, in a place where they eat one vegetable as their vegetable. Yep. Four years, you know, or uh, you know, their their daily Quest bar has an effect on their their gut microbiome. I know Paul loves Quest bars. Breaks <laughs> of chewy nothing. And then uh, and then. You know, even even as far as there's there's kind of this uh, cultural demonization and bodybuilding of, of dairy products, so uh, you know things that could could definitely be helping people supplement uh, their diets from that perspective. You know, like yogurt, uh, they don't take because they don't want to carry you know an extra micrometer of of, uh, of water under their skin when they're 36 weeks out from the next NPC bikini show. <laughs> yeah like an entire year out yeah i don't yeah. drink that i don't eat that uh, dude that's uh yeah. i mean there are just so many things i feel like often women are some of the are usually trying not to be like super like sexist or anything here but some of the biggest offenders when it comes to not taking appropriate off seasons or appropriate length off seasons like they want to do a show every year or multiple shows every year and chronically diet and i mean that can only exacerbate that issue like yeah. so hard. <laughs> i think i think that's just the culture of the division you know uh, um for for you know bikini uh and, and figure to a degree uh because the there's not uh, a big emphasis or as big an emphasis on muscularity there's there's not the kind of inherent drive to like have to be bigger you know in bodybuilding and women's physique uh people have this implicit understanding that like you've got to grow some muscle and you've got to have an off season to do that um whereas bikini it's it's different it's it's a different kind of subculture that those girls are drawn into and if you talk to them about it they have no interest in in physique or figure and getting bigger they don't yeah. want to be bigger so those those off seasons don't really have the same meaning to them, so it's something that's easy yeah. to skip. And they don't they don't have that, I guess, or a lot of them, you know, because they just kind of go to whatever coach is at their gym that their friend uses or whatever. So they don't. A lot of them don't have that person there to say, "Hey, this is why you need to take an extended off season, and this is what you need to do with your food during that time." You just have this guy that's like, "Okay, we just did a show. The next one's for like six months from now." I'm going to give you a little more food for like a month and then we're going to start dieting for that one. You know? There's a lot of unscrupulous coaches in that world too, that, that are driving girls to compete four times a year because they want to charge them for a prep four times a year, you know? And they want to post those pictures four times a year. Yeah. And it's, so it's like a commoditization of the athletes for the coaches that drives a lot of that un unhealthy behavior, unhealthy practices for them. Absolutely. We're way off the reservation, aren't we? 
Yeah. <laughs> We've got to yeah. see what else. What are the consistent ones we got? We got L-theanine. A couple of people that are saying they take L-theanine. Uh, uh, I use it for sleep. I've had it in some like uh, some sleep formulas. Um, maybe it helps. I, I think that there's some demonstrated evidence that it does. Uh, probably not a, a game changer for most people. Yeah, no, that's one of those ones that if you try it out and you feel like it helps you, it feels like helps you get more sleep or better sleep, more quality sleep. Um, that's stuff where if you feel like a supplement is giving you higher quality sleep, that might be something where you bring in some sort of HRV technology to yeah. show whether you're actually getting an effect from, but we won't go down the HRV route today. We'll, we'll save oh, that for another day. Oh, you can do your next study on that for your next five years. <laughs> yeah, Paul, we're going to need you to stay in that lab forever and answer some questions oh, for us. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, oh, you know what? We should probably go back to real quick just because I remember off the top of my head. Um, the one of your clients that was on the fence about BCAAs, didn't she say she was also on the fence about loading creatine and whether or not she needed to do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So saying, been on the fence with creatine, not sure when or how much to take, i.e. loading. Um, just to, so loading does saturate you faster, um, but even if you don't load and you just take the appropriate dose, for an extended period of time, I think it takes a few weeks longer, um, you will reach saturation. It just won't happen as rapidly. So you don't need to load. What about the uh, what about the old school saturation protocols where you mix it in with like grape juice? Oh, the the, the OG Celtech? Yes. I'm old enough to have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember that, those days in high school. Yeah. Um, so the loading thing with uh, you know, I guess there's some benefit to getting to full saturation quicker, um, but kind of on an individual basis, there's also, um, as you get above, you know, that five grams a day range of creatine uh, supplement, you start to encounter uh, digestive side effects in some people. So um, some people tolerate it just fine. Some people are probably going to spend their whole day in the bathroom drinking 20, 30 grams of creatine a day. Uh, so that, that may be something to be aware of. Be careful if you're considering it. Test your tolerance because GI disturbances can occur. Dude, it will mess me up. Uh, you probably, you probably want to titrate that up from like the five grams a day and then try 10 the next day. And, and yeah. don't jump straight um, up to 20 to make sure. Also splitting that dose up throughout the day. I think that's where I messed up is I would try really big boluses of it yeah. versus like five grams four times a day uh with plenty of water at the um with those servings i do want to say uh do you guys remember i i think the recommended dose was 0.3 grams per kilogram body weight i know a lot of people hang on to just five grams a day uh but if you're a larger individual or a smaller individual it may be worth um taking the appropriate dose for your body weight rather than just kind of winging it that's absurd, Paul. <laughs> That's absurd. Um, if there is a recommendation, I don't believe it's 0.3 grams per kilogram. That seems like a lot. Is that for loading? Let me math. What is 0.3 or 0.03? Was it? I don't think it was about 100 kilograms. Uh, that would have to be for loading. Wait, maybe yeah. I just don't know what it is. I think that's a. I think that's the loading number. That that number does sound familiar, but I think that's for loading. You could be right. 0.3 milligram per kilogram is also the dosing for uh, yohimbine, so that may be why it sounds familiar. Yohimbine is not one that was discussed. Um, two more that I did want to touch on, and then we'll wrap it up. I guess make it quick. Uh, Zach, my client Zach. Uh, Zach eats a lot. He is on the hot dog and pizza bagels and kind of diet as well. Chicken nuggets. Yes, chicken nugget diet. He said he relies a lot on Zantac. What do you guys think of someone who is eating a lot of food, is having some side effects from eating all that food, specifically things like heartburn and having to rely on Zantac? I would encourage them to see a physician. That's kind of kind of out of the <laughs> scope of, of what I want to 
give advice on. I will say that I did have a client who was a, a powerlifter and um, had some really bad, really frequent uh, heartburn type side effects from just from the amount of food that he was eating. And um, he kind of pushed through it and, you know, manned up and, and ate his 8,000 calories a day or whatever kind of silliness he was, he was into. And uh, <clears throat> trying to move up from 242 to 227, uh, 275, and uh, threw, started throwing up blood one night. Went to the hospital, and he had a uh, a tear in his esophagus, um, and like two liters of blood in his stomach. So you know, the um, gastrointestinal intestinal side effects are not something to mess around with. I definitely advise somebody who's having those issues to go to a doctor and make sure that they're not having, you know, more severe underlying causes behind them. You hear that, Zach? You shouldn't listen. You should listen to me. Just go to the doctor. Having reflux every single day is not normal. It's not a good thing uh, that you should be experiencing. And he also talked about how he is relying quite a bit on ibuprofen. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't, I know you just talked about Johnny and I don't, or Charlie. Uh, Charlie, Charlie, wrong, wrong Asian, <laughs> wrong Asian. Yeah. Uh, but no acid reflux, like it could just be acid reflux, but acid reflux is a symptom of, can be a symptom of a, a lot more serious things. Did you just say that? I was yeah. zoned out on my phone. Okay, cool. Good to know. <laughs> Thank <Make you>. take... <laughs> oh, cool. I was right there. Ibuprofen, yeah. yeah. So a reliance on NSAIDs for a hypertrophy athlete or an individual looking for hypertrophy. Some potential downfalls there or some issues there. Um, well, I, Paul can probably speak. You, you and Paul can probably speak better on this than me. I know there's um, at the molecular or the cellular level that there's impacts on the uh, – yeah, I think Hector Hector could probably do the best one with this because I might butcher this and Hector might be mad at me. And Paul, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it has to do with inhibiting uh, IL-6, I think, and then inhibiting COX-2 satellite cell proliferation yeah. because you're cutting off inflammation. Yeah. So when you rely on NSAIDs, the, the, the I don't what's the letter abbreviation and said non-specific non-steroidal non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and those just combat inflammation or deal with inflammation in the entire body they're not specific to a certain area so when you take those you're cutting off inflammation but the inflammation is a vital process um, in the adaptation to training so when you cut off that inflammation you're cutting off everything that happens downstream as a result of that inflammation it just so happens that one of the downstream results of that inflammation is actually muscular growth. So yeah. constantly relying on NSAIDs after a training program is probably indicative of one, maybe you're training too intensely, two, maybe it's too much volume, three, maybe you're using the wrong exercises. And whatever the reason is, you're going to um, not get the results that you're looking for. Yeah. And just a tangent there, I know that uh, that I word inflammation is, is really uh, kind of a buzzword in the fitness industry these days. And it kind of it kind of catches this rap like it's uh you know kind of like insulin was five years ago uh it, it, it's a it's a, it's a uh, treated as sort of a, a no one can tell you what it is but yeah we know it's bad yeah and it's always bad but but really inflammation is a natural part of a lot of what our bodies do in response to stress so uh just like insulin is is fine and blood sugar blood glucose is fine in the right context you know, uh, it, you don't run into issues until you get into a, a situation where those, those items, those factors are chronically elevated. And what about, what about gluten? Is gluten inflammation? That's right. Right. Yeah. All I know is when I buy pizza, I say, give me all the gluten you took out of everybody else's pizza and put it in mine. Put it in a milkshake. <laughs> it's actually what makes pizza good. <laughs> what Very true. No have structure. So. All the gluten. Uh, I want to say, and I'm not super familiar with this research, I know uh, Hector likes to bring it up, is that um, in elderly populations or maybe potentially populations that may actually have uh, high levels of like chronic inflammation, mm -hmm. um, that 
they tend to sometimes see an increase in hypertrophy with NSAID use. Interesting. Gets the, what would they call it, the, the um, inflammation cycle, I think I've heard referred to. That's the yeah. breakout of that. that. They get stuck in one phase of the process. And so using the NSAIDs almost kind of tactically to move them beyond that lets them continue the healing process. That would make sense. Yeah, I think that's what Hector was talking about. He was saying that there's just so much chronic inflammation that uh, taking the NSAID brings them down to a point where the body can actually adapt. Yeah, and and for general populations, though, it's probably, um, you know, if you have a headache, don't feel, like, terrified to take an ibuprofen or something, but it's probably not something that you should be uh, nearing abuse levels of, of usage with. Um, I think we need to bold an exclamation mark that because you know that there are people that they hear this yeah, um, and they're like, I can never take ibuprofen. I'm about to go work out. There's no way I'm taking an ibuprofen. And this is more of a result of chronic use. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, if, if you've got a headache on a Tuesday, maybe take some, but you know, if, if you've taken, if you go through a bottle of ibuprofen a week or, you know, you know, you buy it in bulk at Sam's, like maybe, maybe there's some, there's, there's a, there's a distinction there between occasional use and constant use. And, uh, and, you know, these are still drugs. So there's still uh, negative effects that come with them, especially with higher levels of use. Uh, So, you know, just like you wouldn't, you know, go slam. um, I don't know. I can't even think you would, you wouldn't drink Pepto-Bismol by the bottle. Right. And Mm -hmm. so probably also not good. Given Zach ulcers and he has to take all his yeah, it might be why he has the the heart problems because he's got ulcers from two problems are just feeding each other. Nice, and and NSAIDs do have some pretty well documented uh, gastrointestinal and and hepatic side effects. So yeah, Um, I think that and very very high dosages of antioxidants function in a similar way, where you can uh, yeah because you're like an adaptation uh, to clear like free radicals and stuff. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, reactive oxygen species. Yeah, they function in the same way that kind of deal with that that inflammatory stress um, to not let you adapt the way you'd like to from training. I think that full body cryotherapy is similar. I could be wrong on the cryo. Huh. That would be an interesting thing to look at because I know that's very popular in my world right now. Um, CrossFitters are getting those things like three times a week. Yeah. So as far as I know from the cryo research is that it blunts uh, hypertrophic response similar to your NSAIDs. Um, but the style of athletes that are using it predominantly are like your combat athletes, like your MMA fighters, your CrossFit uh, competitors. This is why CrossFitters are small. In general athletics. But <laughs> it's not imperative for them in their sport to be huge. Like they, like hypertrophy isn't held at a premium like it is for bodybuilders. So uh, yeah, it's not the goal for those athletes. Exactly. So their goal is really, okay, I did a really hard training session. I'm getting ready for the open. I need to come back tomorrow and do another really hard training session. And the only way I'm gonna be able to do that is if I do this cryotherapy and get all this inflammation out of my knees and my elbows so I can perform at my best. Yeah, and whereas for a bodybuilder, really the goal should be, you did this really hard session you know, and your legs are sore. Well, that's great. Let your legs recover and grow. Yeah, let your body kind of do its natural thing. So for bodybuilders, their cryotherapy is more of like the growth hormone and the, uh, I'm just kidding. Why are you guys staring at me like that? <laughs> They're, uh, it's not cryotherapy, it's crying therapy. <laughs> Here's bro. Um, I think that's it. I think we knocked them all out. So how about the uh, apple cider vinegar? Oh, that was I think that was Anthony. I'm pretty sure he's just fucking around. I hope he's fucking around. If he's drinking two gallons of apple cider vinegar, he's going to need some of Zach's uh, Zantac here soon. Yeah. What about the uh, caffeine and uh, stimulants? Uh, caffeine is your friend, your only friend. It's the only one that cares. Warmth in life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that caffeine is uh, caffeine solid. It's I mean it would need to be used appropriately. It's should be used in your pre-workout window, not like in a pre-workout, but like before your workout, maybe in the morning. You shouldn't be someone who's drinking coffee or taking caffeine tablets all day, every single day, as it's going to lose its efficacy over time, and you're just going to have to rely on more and more and more. Um, Chris, that's you. Cool. There's uh, 
there's some talk about like periodizing caffeine about like you should take your most caffeine in your hardest training weeks um i think that if you just keep it to a reasonable amount every single day and you time it appropriately you'll get the most out of your caffeine with the least side effects every yeah. every week is hard every day is hard yeah <laughs> you ever keep in mind caffeine itself is it's still a drug and like NSAIDs, like the Zantac, like appropriate uh, responsible use uh, and abuse are two different things. So, you know, you can- Hey, Thomas, you remember when uh, Mike Hedelski, is that how you say his name? Well, he made a video on caffeine a couple years ago, 2000, like 15, 16. And I remember he said the uh, <clears throat> doses that have shown uh, to increase performance, enhance performance, were three to six milligrams per kilogram body weight, I believe. Yeah. And I watched his video and I immediately went to six grams per kilogram. Awful idea. It's higher than that. It's high. Awful. The recommendations are actually higher than that. They're six to nine milligrams per kilogram. Maybe I went to nine. I can't remember. <laughs> it was yeah, something. And, and, and so you think about that for, um, you know, six milligrams per, per kilogram for a uh, 220 pound individual. That's what, 600 milligrams of caffeine? Yeah, it's yeah. six cups of coffee. Yeah, or, or, you know, like a bang energy drink and a scoop of pre-workout, which is really not that wild in the, the world of, uh, you know, what I've seen people do. Now, shout out my boy Kevin that trains at Maverick CrossFit. Three bangs and pre-workout before every single training session. Dude, well, he, he was your boy. He's probably dead by now, right? Yeah, he passed away. We miss you, Kevin. <laughs> 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 Dude, something is wrong. Like, that is not okay. No. Like, if you, like, need that to make it through a workout. Let the man live his life. He's going hard. <laughs> uh, he's trying to be a champion. There is no balance. Yeah. It's all about the... All what about else? Today. Any more? Uh, do you have a Facebook pulled up? Uh, I do. Um, what, Jimbo? Biotin. What's with all these hair, skin, and nails questions? For, uh, right. for bodybuilders, don't worry about it. You're all going to be bald by the time you're 28. So yeah. Well, I'm about to be 30, and I still have lots of hair. Yeah, but 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 inside you're like 22. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I also have like a Vegeta hairline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I think that's it. Hold on. Let me pull it up. Alphionin, magnesium comes in multivitamins, fish oil we talked about. Uh, apple cider vinegar was a joke. Green tea, coffee. Yeah, that's just getting caffeine. Oh. We <laughs> could. Jenny. Jenny, I have no idea what black cohosh is. Has anyone read the research about collagen and vitamin C supplementation pre-workout for joint health? Uh, I use collagen daily, actually. Okay. Um, I have read people taking collagen with, I believe it's 100 to 300 milligrams of vitamin C pre-training. And I know that there's some research that shows that it helps with collagen synthesis um, cool. and ligaments and tendons. So I'll, um, I'll go ahead and shout out uh, examine.com has a really good supplement database if you ever have questions about something you're taking whether you know what the research says they've done a lot of that like work for you and uh, collagen is one of those things that i was always a little skeptical of uh, someone recommended it to me because I've, I've got a long history of destroying my body uh, through training and uh, and I, I went on exam and and the reviews there um, from the research was was pretty positive um, i take it more of a preventative um again it's it's like everything else you can't really tell that it's working so your uh, your best bet is to rely on the research and then make this informed decisions based on what you can afford and what you're having to trade off elsewhere in life or training to uh to take those things so i, I collagen is something that that's in my personal supplement that is just so strange to me because I, I looked at some of that stuff and I think you're right. Examine does uh, say some pretty good things about it, but you would think that it would just denature in the stomach, you know, along with the other amino acids and things you ate um, and just kind of those amino acids would just be used by whatever the body needed at the time. Yeah. And that, that, that was, that was kind of my, uh, 
my thoughts on it too is you know uh, the structure of the protein you know it's not like we're getting a blood infusion of collagen protein right it's it's going through the stomach and it's it's having to deal with the acidic environment um but the the studies cited on examine did say you know these these were taken orally um and and they had uh positive effects on uh uh tendon thickness and and uh the regeneration of that tissue so um Again, it's I you know I think I pay like thirty bucks every month and a half for a tub of collagen protein, and it, it uh, don't really notice anything. Um, it goes in my morning shake. So um, you know we probably could hit real quick unless you guys are ready to get off. Um, I think one of my clients said they take berberine. Berberine, yeah, that's Aisha. And, Is that how you say your name, Aisha? think so okay. yeah, yeah. That's what you said. in her never-ending cabinet yeah she said she's taking <laughs> berberine i'm not super clued in on berberine someone teach me yeah uh, all it's you oh well basically uh people are taking it to manage um or increase it's it's considered a part of that gda lineup that's becoming really popular uh, you so you guys haven't heard of berberine at all I've heard I, of it as a supplement. Yeah. I just didn't know why people were using it. GDA supplements, which I mean, I, I think I think just broadly GDAs are useless. Well, I, what's neat about berberine, um, and that's another one that you can look up on Examine. Um, it does seem to be showing some promise. Yeah. Um, and there's some bold claims as far as uh, individuals comparing it to uh, metformin. I don't know if it works that well. Uh, but I guess my issue more so is that there are a lot of people who are taking uh, these supplements and these GDAs, and even if berberine's effective, um, they're just, you know, it's like, it's not something most people should even be worrying about. Yeah. If they're staying within a decent body composition, they're physically active, they're doing resistance training, a little bit of cardio throughout the week, and just not getting fat. Yeah, well, that, that was that was going to be my physically active person with a healthy body weight, um, a healthy uh, calorie balance, and regular resistance training shouldn't have any issues with uh, you know glucose and blood sugar management. And if they do, they need to go to a doctor and get medicine because those that's that's not a normal condition, you know, at that point. So I, I don't see why there would be a need to take a supplement for that if you satisfy all those other lifestyle conditions, like you said, Paul. Yeah, like the one thing that really, really messes with insulin sensitivity, or I guess two things, is being inactive, not moving the majority of your day, and uh, getting fat. Yeah, gross caloric surplus. So if you're not, <laughs> if you're not doing either of those things, you're pro probably in good shape. Uh, I'm looking at Aisha's question now, and I also see um, turmeric, which I like. There's some promising literature there um, as, as a general health supplement. Um, I know that there are issues with the uh, the bioavailability of the curcumin in uh, concentrated isolated form. Um, so a lot of times you see these curcumin supplements packaged with something like piperine to improve that. Um, probably not a bad thing from a general health perspective. Um, probably not also going to magically add 10 years to your life if you're already exercising, maintaining a healthy body weight, et cetera. So um but then, then I see beetroot, which I know nothing about, and then activated charcoal. So, got any? Uh... I believe the beetroot is the uh, whole uh, nitrate thing. Nitrate, nitrates. Uh, as far as uh, God, what do they use for uh, workout endurance? I believe. Yeah, buffering. So you see that when you supplement with like beetroot and various nitrates, uh, you see an increase in buffering capacity. Okay. So if, you, so if maybe you're an endurance athlete or a CrossFit athlete that has to worry about uh, acid buffering uh, during workouts. Yeah, that that's, something, that's something I would throw in with like carnosine or beta alanine. I think it's one like sodium bicarb as well. Yeah. I don't, I personally, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like these uh, supplements made for buffering really hold any use to a bodybuilder that's taking no. good rest between sets doing well no. i mean a set of 10 how long does that take 15 I mean, seconds yeah uh, for energy systems perspective by the time that you've gotten deep enough high enough intensity to really have acid be an issue 
uh, with affecting performance, you know, you're talking probably at a minimum for an untrained, like a, a relatively lowly trained person, 40 seconds. That's, that's a pretty long set of the high intensity for a bodybuilder, you know? Um, and then in more highly trained athletes, you know, maybe two or three minutes. That's, that's a ridiculous yeah. amount of time to be. Able to I think you'd probably be best served by uh, maybe doing light cardio in your off season yeah. and just developing your, uh, you know, aerobic system a little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah. You, you can, you can improve your ability to buffer or, uh, or, or need, need to buffer less just by improving your aerobic capacity to a pretty huge degree. So, you know, I guess we'll get into this in a later Q and a, when we, we go into the big, energy systems for lifters but um, you know if you develop some basic aerobic capacity uh, nothing you're going to do in bodybuilding is going to require lactate buffering to continue a workout you know maybe if you do some stupid drop set stuff but then you're probably not working with paul anyways because he i know he hates that right pretty much bfr superset drop sets yeah yeah you forgot rest pause you gotta throw all the trigger words in there. Yeah. So let's let's talk about charcoal because uh, is 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 that one of those detox? Is that what, is that what it's generally used for? Uh, the last time I've heard about charcoal, yeah, I believe is for detox. I know some people will use it. I believe to measure, I guess, rate of digestion as well by seeing how quickly it shows up in their poop. Maybe I don't know. I know I know that I know that um, a couple years ago my dad got into a chemical exposure issue. Uh, with some stuff in his shop and they, they made him take charcoal for like a week uh, to, to pull the, the heavy metals and stuff that he accidentally breathed in uh, or got ingested um, pull it out of the system so, but, I, but I don't know if that's why that would be something you'd take on a regular basis as a supplement yeah I have absolutely no idea <laughs> people, do, people do all sorts of weird shit with charcoal they rub it on their teeth like kind of fluffy dark poop yeah I don't know I guess people are eating it now yeah. Oh man. It's like that's how you get a uh, mesothelioma. Yeah. I think a really important take home message is uh to do <laughs> What is that? Charcoal mask? Yeah, charcoal mask. Yeah. Um yeah. We we put it on our faces and run around in the dark oh, try to wow. scare each other. Um So <laughs> is just to man a lot of these supplements i mean they cost a lot of money you really want to do your research and you don't want to be blowing three four hundred bucks a month on supplements and not really be sure uh that you're getting a good benefit or that you're within a population that can even receive a benefit from yeah. you know yeah all right Think that, oh shit! Did I break it? No, I didn't break it. All right, thought I broke it for a second. About to end. Uh, yeah. Anything else? What do you want to close on, Paul? Um, I just want everybody to make sure they remain thick and girthy. Um, Thomas, closing words. I don't think I could state anything beyond that. <laughs> so sharing the sentiment of staying thick and girthy. Yeah, always. Maybe veiny and tight. Oh, yeah, any type that is important. Yeah. Major key. Um, Maybe solid, too. I guess I took them off. On my end, eat your vegetables. Take the supplements that actually work. Um, love each other. That's very Go to, important. Go to the website, spend all your money, and buy our shit. <laughs> Don't be a racist. Stay thick with three Cs. Don't wear charcoal masks like Paul. That's, that's questionably wearing blackface, which is racist. So please stop, Paul. Well, I'm uh, half Asian. I can oh. do things that you can't. That settles that. Paul is officially a minority group, so he's immune to being racist. And that's that's where we'll close for today. Why Goodbye, do you have more white trophies than dark trophies behind you? I just can't stand dark trophies. <laughs> Ryan only dates minor. Yes. Wait, minor, minors or minorities? Because there's a big difference between those two. And before we incriminate ourselves further, that's a wrap. Go sign up. Give it to performance.com. Go follow these guys on Instagram. They're pretty smart. Peace out. Bye.